0: Have a seat, Arendelle Bible Chapel family. If you can, open your Bibles. We will be in Galatians three, verses one through fourteen. Question I want to begin with today is who is your family? Just came out of a Christmas season. You think this is a simple answer? Who is your family? In April 2011, God began to change my definition of family. I had recently become a Christian, and I was in a weird place where God had removed many of my old ways of life and began opening up new doors for me. I had begun attending my parents' church, which had about 3,000 members. So as you would know, it was hard to create relationships in such a big crowd. But I began to attend a Sunday school class of older adults, since I wanted to learn from a very certain pastor. I really enjoyed his teaching. He very taught, he taught the, the Word of God clearly, and I wanted to learn from him. So I started attending this older adult class. I was probably about 21. Everyone else was in the age of 40 or older. And so here's the picture. I'm in this Sunday school class of mostly 40 or older. I'm 21. I have no friends because I'm a new believer. But God began to provide. It's very interesting that that April, I I began to attend a new set of classes in my university. University had about around 15,000 students. So what I'm about to say next is obviously only the hand of God. So I began to attend my new class, English 311. I sit down and next thing you know this guy sits next to me. I look I recognize him. I'm not I'm a very shy person, you might not know that. I look again. I recognize him. And I look over and I turn to him and I say, "Are you part of Todd Barnett's Sunday school class?" He looks at me. He goes, yeah, like I'm insane. And next thing I know, I asked him some questions, and he said, yes. And next thing you know, within a couple of weeks, we're carpooling together. And 11 years later, he's texting me a picture of his daughter saying, say hi to your Uncle Nick. Dominic Collins would become one of my best friends. He was my best man at my wedding. Dominic is an art major. Actually he's a writing art major. I am a baseball player. He is sensitive. I am not. We are the furthest from different people in the world. But that day, God showed me, I'm going to provide you a family, Nick, that does not connect with your bloodline, but that goes much deeper. What I learned that day in that random class in university is what Jesus told the man, questioning why he wasn't spending time with his mom and brothers. And Jesus answers him and says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother. Here is my brother's. Again, I ask you this question, who is your family? Today, we are continuing in our series, Images of the Church. And this week, we are looking at the church as the image of the church as a family. Again, remember, we're coming from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And I, I, I took this chapter, not namely because it's talking about family, as much as it's talking about what Paul is calling them to, what defines them, and what their goal is. So this sermon will kind of look at Galatians 3 and answer three questions. Who are we? What are we? What are we doing? And why do we exist? And the main point of our sermon for today is this. The family of God... Is connected through the faith in Jesus, and made visible through our local congregation of believers that commit to each other for the purpose of edification and evangelism. I'm going to read that one more time. The family of God is connected through the, their faith in the faith in Jesus, and made visible through a local congregation of believers that commit to each other for the purpose of edification and evangelism who are we this is our first point individuals are individuals that are connected to the family of god by faith in christ what are we doing here we're a local family that we're hoping to help each other thrive why do we exist we're a local family designed to be a picture of god's eternal family and so today we're going to go into Galatians and we're going to answer these questions. Where we hopefully get to understand what does it mean to be family and why we as a church need each other. And how Paul shows it through this section of scripture coming from Galatians. Because Dan has read it, I'm not going to reread the verse by Will give a little bit more context. The book of Galatians is written to a group of Christians struggling to understand what it means to belong to the family of God. In this section here, Paul is answering that question what does it mean to be a family member? The Galatian church had mistaken Jewish ritual law for their validation as followers of christ but through this text paul is arguing that the only validation for one's entrance into the family of god is faith in christ and that brings us to our first point point. and this is going to come from verses 6 through 10 individuals are connected to the family of god by faith in christ the Galatian church had believed that these certain identifiers of a Jewish religion were needed to validate their Christian walk. you got to remember that these Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, believed in a Jewish, Jewish Messiah. you got to put it into the frame of mind of this first century Gentile. These followers of Jesus were not considered really a different religion of Judaism, but were just another branch at this time. So before, coming, before the coming of Christ, if you were a Gentile and wanted to be a Jew, you adhered to a certain number of markers to become a full-fledged Jewish convert, therefore given the ability to worship in the temple. Some of these would be circumcision, following Jewish festivals, eating only a certain type of foods, wearing certain clothes. So when these, Jewish, when these Gentile believers... Believing in a Jewish Messiah are now going, what does it mean to be a part of this family of God? What does it mean to be a part of this Jewish heritage? They're wondering, and these people come in who are Jews and saying, yes, awesome, follow this Messiah, Jesus. But you need to validate yourself to become actually part of the family of God. If you think about that progression, it's not quite crazy. crazy. What does it mean for me? How do I know? Imagine being that, that Galatian believer. How do I know I'm in Christ? How do I know I'm really a believer? We've never had, we've asked that question, right? Am I truly saved? And so these, these believers are asking that question. And so these people, oh, yeah, let me let me give you a couple of answers. Well, if you're circumcised, yeah, if you get circumcised, yeah, you're for sure. Like you're a part of the family of God. Follow these Jewish festivals, don't eat pork. And so these Galatian believers began to fall for this grace plus works mentality to find their validation of who I am in Christ. And it's not so crazy. Like, we do the same thing, right? Just as the Galatian church fell prone to these false markers to validate their Christian faith, we have false identifiers to to validate our Christian faith. Here's a few I've heard. And these aren't all bad. First of all, I'm a Christian because I prayed Jesus into my heart. I was five years old. In the States, we have a VBS. They don't really do that as much up here. Prayed Jesus into my heart, therefore I am saved. Or same thing, very similar. At one point, I made a confession when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm not living that way anymore. But when I was a kid, I confessed Jesus. I'm saved. I believe in God. I know I'm a Christian because I believe in God. I attend church. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, I attend church every single Sunday. I'm a super Christian, actually. I serve in church every single Sunday. I don't just attend, I serve. Validating. What validates me as a Christian? I serve in church. Or, yeah, I mean, I used to be a really bad person, and now I'm not so bad. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, I wasn't so bad, and and I was bad, now I'm not so bad. All things I've heard. What validates your Christian walk? I, these things, these, these, these validations right here. Or, yeah, I give money to the church. I, yeah, yeah, I give, my, I give my offering as I need to. That validates my Christian walk. I don't say these to cause the doubt anyone's salvation, but to be honest, we can fool ourselves to, by valid, using these validations of I am a Christian because I do this and miss the fact that the only thing that validates our walk with the Lord is that, hey, I, did it. I can't do anything to make myself right with God, but I believe that Jesus did everything for me. In the best case scenario, we miss the rest that Christ provides us because we're so busy working. In the worst case scenario, we actually miss salvation completely. Paul's answer to the problem, the relation problem, the answer to our problem comes in this verses 6 through 10 just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of God, uh, sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The problem with the Judaizers, they really didn't know their Bible. They saw law adherence as what brought them into the family of God. I follow God's law, therefore I'm a good Jew, therefore I am in the family. So Paul countered their argument by fact-checking their case. He said, "Yeah, hey, let, me, let, me, let me kind of give you a little real realization of what the Bible really says. Let's look a little further back to our father Abraham. And so he goes back to uh, Genesis 15, 3 through 6. And he begins to point us to, yeah, this is what God is really, this is what God said, this is what God is doing. Yeah, you think law adherence was the original plan. It never was. It says go back to Galatians and that's what Paul does he goes to sorry he goes to Genesis 15:3 through 6 which says and Abraham said behold you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir back in Genesis 12 God promises Abraham that you will be a great nation I'm going to make you great 3 chapters later one day later in our Bible reading plan many years later to our father, to the Abraham Abraham's like, hey, let God, um, let me kind of talk to you right now. Uh, I'm a little old. My wife's a little old. I know how this works. I've been around long enough. This ain't happening. So what he does is, is he, he's questioning God. He's struggling with what God is saying. And so God said, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about um, this man shall not be your heir heir your very own son shall be your heir and he brought him to the outside of brought him outside and said I mean I don't imagine I can't imagine how that would feel brought him outside and said look toward the heaven the number of stars if you are able to number them so shall your offspring be I'm old God my wife's old We can't have kids. You made a promise. Are you going to keep your promise? God says, Look up at the sky. Look up at the sky. Those stars, your kids are going to be more than that. And we stand here, right here today, thousands of years later, as those stars in the sky that have outnumbered. That is massive. I love what J.B. Fesco says about this, Abraham's declaration of righteousness. The declaration of Abraham's righteousness in Genesis fifteen six is stunning, even breathtaking. Why? Because the whole Abrahamic narrative makes it clear that Abraham was sinful. We should not dismiss the fact that Abraham doubted God in verses 2 and 3, And right afterwards, in the next chapter, Abraham and Sarah sinfully concocted their own method to bring about God's promise, which involves using Sarah's handmaid Hagar as a surrogate wife. If we could think that the plan was for us to be a better person, to to make our own, uh, make ourselves perfect, Abraham is not the key character. He is not the person we are going to imitate, Right? But what did it say? God counted him as righteous. God counted him as perfect. The Bible has this idea of progressive revelation. Huh? As we move along throughout the story of the Bible, we are slowly but surely beginning to see God's plan. And so Paul takes... These, this Gentile group of Christians who are struggling to say, how am I connected to the Jewish heritage? And saying, look back to the beginning. Abraham had faith in God, and that is why he was righteous. Your acts, your, your wanting to follow these Jewish laws, they will never make you right before God. They will never bring you perfection. What you need is to have faith that God has done it for you. How are we like children of Abraham? How are we children of Abraham? Because we are just like our father, Abraham, totally sinful and totally relying on God's promises to make us perfect. While Abraham relied on God's future promises, we rely on the past promise fulfilled in Christ's death, life, death, and resurrection. Paul's answer to the Galatian church is the same answer to the modern church the same answer of what does it mean to be a part of our family? What makes us unique? What brings us together? What's our entry ticket to be in the family of God? It's only through the work of another, Jesus Christ. And that is what I learned that day 11 years ago when I sat next to Dominic and met him for the first time. Is that while a bloodline connects us to our physical family, it's only the blood of Jesus that, will conne- that connects us to the family of God. While a bloodline connects us to our physical family, it's only a, the blood of Jesus that connects us to the family of God, and that connection is far deeper than any familial relationship. And this is where a problem where many churches can find themselves. Their connection is to a certain demographic of people and not to Christ. It was actually about 40 years ago. There began a movement in the church where these young men were encouraged to plant churches throughout the areas of North America. And they were told, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to plant a church, and what you're going to do is you're going to just focus on one demographic. You're going to focus on reaching these people because guess what? These people need friends. These people need connections. And guess what? They're going to come, and you're going to grow a church, and you're going to have a big church. And they're all going to be centered around, they look the same, they act the same, they root for the same teams. You hear the problem with that? These churches were never built off their unity in Christ. These churches were built off their unity in how they looked, how much money they made. The family of God is a unique connection of people who look very differently, who come from different backgrounds, who are so diverse. Because what connects them is nothing that this world would find connecting. What connects them is the Christ, the Son of God. We are in this family together because we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that is our only hope. And that's the only thing that will bring you part of the family of God is that reality. So while we have faith in Christ, connects you to the entire family of God in God's goodness, He provides His children with smaller iterations of that family called the local church. We have the big family of God, all the people from eternity past to eternity future who have believed in Christ, who have rested in God's promises for their salvation, the big family of God. But God in his goodness has now given us smaller versions of that family called the local church. And that brings us to our second point, going back up to verse one. So who are we? We are a group of people brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ. What are we doing? We are a local family here helping each other to thrive. We are a local family brought together for the purpose of thriving. So we go back up to Paul's verse, verse, and he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He is absolutely marveled right now. Paul sat with these people. He shared the good news with them. He watched them care for him as he was sick and he said, I, 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 I shared with you, you believed it. I don't get what's going on with you. You must have been hypnotized. You must have been, had someone put a spell on you because that's the only way you would deny the beauty of the gospel. He says, before you, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's not, talking about they, he's not saying that they were there when Christ was crucified. What he's saying is, when I, when I preached the gospel to you, you saw it. You heard it. It was as though you were there witnessing it. How can you reject it now? He wants the Galatian church to know and understand the depths of the problem before them. He does this because he loves them. Going back to going up to Galatians 4, 12 through 15, where you get to kind of see their relationship. And he says, This, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for also I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew, you know, it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessings? For I testify, if it possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul's looking at them. He's, I mean, he's writing to them and he's saying, brothers, sisters, you love me. You saw my love for you. I don't get where you have gone. I don't know what convinced you to go down this path. And this is, uh, we see this a lot of Paul's letters, especially in the life of the Galatian church. Paul could, Paul could witness the faces. He could hear the singing of the songs on a Sunday morning as they worshiped God. He could remember them caring for him in his sickness. And so when he looks to them and he speaks to them as family members, asking them, why have you wandered away from the faith? And in those memories, he fears that's that what they might become only memories because if these Galatian believers do not move from this current path they submit themselves to they will again go back to the yoke of slavery which they cannot carry if they want to follow the law they risk demonstrating that they are not truly believers in Christ we have sat here we know how this feels right if you've been in church longer than 10, 15 years, you sit here and you know, you, can, you have faces when I say this that come to your head of a brother or sister, that, uh, a person that you at one time called brother, sister in Christ, and now they no longer walk with the Lord. And it, your heart wells up. It's heavy. And you're like Paul, and you're wondering what, what happened. We forget how sinful, Sinful, I mean, how sinful sin is. We forget how deceitful sin is. We forget how how it, it messes with the mind and it confuses. And that's why Paul says it's like a curse is on you right now. Why don't you get this? And and Paul, throughout his letters, uses this familial terminology when he speaks to the different churches. Because he loves them, and he has a desire to see each one of those believers thrive in their walk with the Lord, that they might finish the race well. Paul, in his, in his different letters, uses the term brother over 130 times. We see this in Romans 16.1 as he finishes up the letter. He says, I commend to you what? Our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincreia. Verse Romans 16, 13, greet Rufus, interesting name, chosen in the Lord, also his mother. Then what does it say? Who has been a mother to me as well. Here in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, but if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, he, 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 in a very sensitive situation, he says the brother and sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Paul uses this terminology brother, sister, mother, father to show his love for them, his connections to them. We go down to be familiar relations that he wants us to see. 1 Timothy 5 1 through 2. Talking to Timothy as he, as he wants him to see how to talk to different people in the church. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Titus 2, 4-5. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Hey, Timothy, first of all, when you talk to someone, understand how to speak to them. If they're older than you, if there's an older man, speak to him as you would speak to your father. Older woman, speak to them as you would speak to your mother. Those, those girls there, the women, the young women there, speak to them like you are your sisters. Young men, brothers. He wants them to have that, that connection that you would, that respect you would give to a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. As, he's, as he calls Timothy to say some hard things to people. And in Titus 2, 4-5, Paul is talking to the pastor Titus and saying the women in the church, older women, train younger women to what it means to live in the faith. What does it mean to be a faithful woman of God? How do you know? Well, someone taught you, right? Hey, you encourage the older women to go to those younger women and say, hey, this is what it looks like to, train, to, to raise your kids. I know it's hard. This is what it looks like to go through suffering well. This is what God did when I had cancer. And this is how he, what he taught me. Let, me. let me share what God taught me. Older men. You've been given the responsibility to be leaders in the church. You've been given responsibility to take young men under your wings and show them what does it be, mean to be a man of God. And unfortunately, in the modern North American church, that is few and far between. Young men like me need older men in our lives saying, hey, this is what it looks like to raise kids. This is what it looks like to to treat your wife well. To sacrificially live for her. Unfortunately, that takes up time. It's not efficient to disciple people. It actually is a huge sacrifice. Because half the time, those men don't stick around for long. But Paul wants young Titus, young Timothy... To encourage the people in the church to live as though they are a family, training each other up, encouraging each other, helping each other. He put us together so that we may thrive. The role of the church of the role of the church of the, the church family in the life of the individual is very clear. We see this. Pastor David talked about this a little bit last week when he talked about the body. We see. The role we have one role of equipping, Ephesians four, eleven through thirteen. He gave them apostles, prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Later on, he'll say, So they aren't like a ship being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. They're given to equip, so and they're also given for community, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Later on, we'll see this community that are distributing goods so that no one went without need. This, this, they're brought together for protection, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. There's that famous verse that we like to say, when two or three together, there the presence of God is. That's what church is. No, this is actually in this context right here of church discipline. It says if two or, two or three gather, God, and, and your brother is brought back from sin, God's presence is visible there because you're seeing the heart of God there. See, it's a little bit in, later in Galatians 6 1, where Paul, where Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We come together to protect each other, we come together to help each other grow in our walk with the Lord because we cannot do it. Ourself finishing up with maturity, going back to that verse, Titus 2, 3, and 4. We are there to help each other mature in Christ. We are a family, and we've been given that responsibility. Paul sees these relationships so intertwined and so needed for the building up and growth of each individual Christian. And we miss it when we think that church is something that is there when we feel like it. There is such this devil-led trend in North America church rooted in consumeristic mentality that has convinced people that faithfulness to one church is an option. Let me repeat that. There is such a devil-led trend in the modern North America church rooted in a consumeristic mentality that has convinced people that faithfulness to one church is an option that I can go to church when I feel up to it and not really be known, and that's enough for my Christian duty. We see the same problem with this idea of cohabitation that has ran rampant in our society. There was a poll done by Pew Studies in 2018 that stated 85% of adults agreed it is okay to live with someone before you are married. And the problem with that is the same problem with many Christians' view on church. Is that once you remove commitment, you lose the possibility of growing together. Because if it's hard, I'm gone. If you say something I don't like, bye. If you're not filling my needs anymore, I can find someone else. Instead of committing like I've committed to my wife and said, you are my only one. It will be hard. We'll be together no matter what people just want to cohabitate because hey it's fun once the fun's gone it's easy break Then i go back to this you're like why are we talking about this why 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 and i say this if christ loved me enough to die for me can we trust him that when he provides us with the means of thriving that's actually what's best for us if Christ loved you enough to die for you, if he sacrificed himself on the cross for you, saying, hey, I, I, I am giving up everything for you so that you might have eternal life, can we then trust him enough to say, hey, I have the means for which you will thrive as a Christian? And that is only through your connection to the local church, this local family that's working together to help you thrive in your walk with the Lord. And therefore, we can say hard things to each other. We can walk next to each other. We can love each other through the good times and the bad times. We can love each other when we disagree. We can love each other when we want to go in two different paths because we said, hey, we're committed no matter what. The local family is here for your thriving. Embrace it. My last point for today, the local family has, is designed to be a picture of God's eternal family. The local family is designed to be a picture of God's eternal family. Going down to verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse for us. For is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You're like, how? what is this talking about? I just want the last point today. I just want to look at this is the message we represent. This is the message that we as Arendelle Bible Chapel are here to show to this community of Arendelle, to show to the community of Mississauga. Christ redeemed us from the law. He laid his life down so that I might live. And that is our only truth. That is what connects us. That's what makes us family. And that's what's going to allow us to commit to each other no matter what. God has ordained this local church to be a billboard for the world to know him in the work of his son on the cross. It's very interesting with billboards. My wife, um, when she moved to the states, she let me know that in the states there's a lot more billboards than here in Canada, which is true. I, I see some nods. If you're going down, like to, through Ohio in the middle of nowhere, there is billboard, billboard, billboard. Well, at this one time, when Emily and I were traveling um, to go to, our, uh, when I was a youth pastor at this small church in Kentucky, we would go past this billboard of this guy called the Hammer. He was a lawyer. Just letting you know. He was a lawyer and he had this hammer and he had this big massive like the picture, the billboard was him. He was a massive dude on this billboard. But the restaurant I worked at during the time, guess what? Guess who always came in for lunch? The hammer. And he was like 5'4. Little guy. But he represented himself in a certain way. It was a lie. His billboard showed one thing. He wanted to present himself. How do we present ourselves to the community? If we have this message, as Paul says, in jars of clay, and our eternal family, our family, our our local family is there now as a billboard to Arendelle, to the, the city of Mississauga, what do we show people? As a local church, We provide this picture of the eternal family in heaven. We're doing this in three different ways. First way is we proclaim with our words. We we proclaim with our words, going back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are a billboard for God by the words we use to people, how we share the gospel, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what is is God doing in my life. We are a billboard by proclaiming words. We are a billboard by proclaiming how we interact with one another. Our interactions say a lot. This is coming from John 13, 35. By all, by this all people, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A guy named Edward Clink wrote a book on um, the local church, and this is an expert on this passage right here. That he says, in this way, love becomes both a character trait and an identity marker of the church. Just as a city on a hill cannot be hidden or a lamp prevented from sharing its light, so does the church become a living display of the love of God for the world. In this way, the church's inward ministry participates with its outward ministry. How are we a billboard? How we love each other. How we sacrifice for one another. How we forgive one another. Have you ever been hurt by someone in church? I know I have. And we forgive them, not forget, there's a difference between forgetting and forgiving. Forgetting says, hey, we're not going to talk about this, and we're just going to put it off the side. That never actually solves anything. We've been there, right? When you're young and married, hey, we're just going to try to forget about this. You learn you have to talk through it. We show the world what it means to be a follower of Christ by our actions towards one another. Finally, we proclaim we are a billboard with our ordinances. It's kind of a weird one coming from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This Lord's Supper, the, ba- the Lord's Supper, is like a, a preparation for our future um, feast the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we take the Lord's Supper, that little gross wafer and that little really juicy uh, um, grape juice, that's like a picture of our feast that we'll have one day with all Christians from all eternity, with Jesus at the front of the table and we're worshiping, eating, joining each other, enjoying his presence, that that is one picture of that future feast. And we are a billboard for Christ as we take that together. We are a family through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a local family that is there to help us thrive. We are a local family to be a billboard to our community. So what now? What do I do? First of all, don't find yourself estranged from the local church. You can't walk on this walk on your own. You cannot do the Christian walk by yourself. You need each other. As older believers, your responsibility is to help younger believers in their walk. Younger believers, your responsibility is to find an older believer and say, Hey, let me follow you. Let me bug you for a little bit. That's why I love Pastor David. I get to go bug him. And, he gets, and I get paid to do it, and he gets paid to do it. And I sit there and talk to him and see his humility See how God's worked in his heart. See how him and his wife have worked through things. That's why I love talking to Ross. I can sit there and just sit and talk to him and say, hey, what's going on? This is what we're going with. That's how I think through this. And Ross would just walk you with it, walk through it with you. That's what we do. That's a family. Don't estrange yourself from the local church. Be okay to embrace the beauty of diversity within the family. This is what Russell Moore says. What would it mean if we took the radical notion of being brothers and sisters seriously? What would happen if your church saw an elderly woman, which no one would confuse with cool, on her knees at the front of the church, praying with a body-pierced 15-year-old anorexic girl? What would happen if your church saw a millionaire corporate vice president being mentored by a minimum wage-earning janitor? Because both of you, all of you know that the janitor is more mature in Christ. What would that mean? That's the beauty of diversity in the church. It's not about how much money you make, it's not about how you look, it's about your walk with the Lord, and we're doing this together. So, what now? Fight the good fight of unity that we have in Christ. We fight for unity. God has given us unity. We have unity. We fight for it too. Because we are sinners in a broken world, and we will disagree. We will disagree on COVID. We will disagree on masks. We will disagree on different aspects of church. But we can come together and be unified because we are not, the thing that connects us is much deeper than any aspect of of this world. What connects us is Christ. Finally, embrace the church as the tool God has given you to thrive. You will not thrive in the Christian life without the church. You need each other. We need each other. As a church, we provide many opportunities for this. First of all, we have prayer meetings. Join a prayer meeting. You get to hear the word prayed for. You get to pray for different people. We have growth groups where relationships are being built. We have, hopefully, we're going to be getting D groups up again. Opportunity to have smaller relationships where you're asking each other, what is the Lord doing in my life? Those are opportunities for you to thrive. not time wasters. Take advantage of them. And finally, marvel at the beauty of this physical representation of the future family party in heaven. We right now, we stand, we sit here as a future representation of the party we will do one day as we sit before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we congregate together, is to encourage each other, edify each other, and to to have this picture of a future party that we will have before our Lord as a family We understand that we are brought together only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else needs to connect us but that truth. We are connected to brothers and sisters around the world. And from the beginning of time through our faith in God, his work for us through his son. Embrace being a part of that family of God, especially in this local iteration called the family, called the local church. God has provided it for you so that you may thrive and so that world will be brought to know him. Let me pray. Father, we come to you. We come to you knowing and believing that we can only be a part of your family through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else brings us together. Father, you have given us each other. You have given us each other to thrive. Lord, may we believe that. Our hearts are hardened, God, and we so often believe we can do this walk on our own, and I pray that you would destroy that heart of pride. Help us to see our need for each other. Finally, God, may we be lights in this community. May our billboard shine bright as we honor you, as we make much of you, and as we love each other through the hard times, through the easy times, through the fun times, and through the annoying times. Our unity is rooted in Christ and nothing else. May we shine in the city of Mississauga, in the village of Arendelle, because of our love towards one another. Lord, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.